Welcome to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast. I am your host, Diogen Tirandekura. On this show, you will discover the realities, the successes and the struggles of business management and information technology consultants in the fast-moving B2B world. So stay tuned if you want to know more about what it takes to have a consulting lifestyle. We very often talk about the importance for a consultant, and mostly if uh, he or she is a is a solopreneur, um, the importance of being focused on a niche. But what about being within a niche that is already within a niche? So let's call it a sub niche, if that is the right word. And um, this is the type of consultant that we have today. Uh, it's the guest is. Deborah Richardson. She is based in the United States and she is a specialist with vendor maintenance. So vendor master maintenance within an account payable team. So she has a very diverse experience and she is very opinionated opinionated about, uh, about it. And during this episode, we will learn a lot about her industry, her services, but also the mindset with which she operates. So uh, it will be a great episode and let's tune in with Deborah Richardson. Hello and welcome to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast to Deborah Richardson. Hello, Deborah. How are you? Hi, Diogen. I am great. And thank you for having me on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Deborah. Um, so you're a great fit uh, with the podcast because uh, a lot of professionals that we uh, uh, that we invite uh, are a solo or a small business, uh, small business owner, and they are specialized in a niche. And you, your niche is AP, everything that is about AP, accounts payable. Uh, but uh, let's first start uh, before talking about accounts payable specifically let's start with your uh, career story yeah and you know it's it's funny too because that is not where I started like at all (laughs) Um, so back in the day I graduated with an English degree believe it or not and since I didn't want to teach you know and didn't want fries with that I went back for an MBA in financial management. But, you know, I went, when I went to school, I didn't go back home in the summers. I stayed at school and I took extra classes and um, I went to U of M in Ann Arbor and I just loved it. So I never went home, which meant that I had a lot of credits, you know. And so at mm-hmm. 19, they wouldn't let me register until I declared a major. And I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. So I went across <laughs> the street, right, to the law school and they said, and I asked them what, um, uh, majors they took, and they said English, um, history, and political science. And I went, mm, I like to read, so I went right back across the street and I declare English. Now, what's funny mm-hmm. is that the business school is on the other side, so if I'd have gone the other door, <laughs> I would have been much better off. But you know, in between those degrees, I actually held a job, and it was a small company, and someone at one of our clients used to do our books. And, you know, that's what they called them back then, the books. And, you know, they would do them when they got to them. So I like raised my hand and volunteered. And that was enough for me to finally figure out that's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to be when I grew up, anything that had something to do with accounting. And so I went back 
And I took all the course, all the business courses that I didn't take in undergrad, and I uh, that made me eligible to enter the MBA in financial management program. Mm-hmm. And I I did that. And when I came out, you know, I held quite a few um, positions in accounting, accounts receivable, financial reporting, in multiple industries, oil and gas, automotive. I kind of grew up in the GM um, headquarters. So automotive, healthcare, telecommunications, um, retail, and that was interesting because that was during the whole dot-com bus thing. And then I was also in government. So I've kind of been all around, but it wasn't until I became a controller mm-hmm. and I had oversight over AP and that did it for me. So I was hooked on AP and in my next job, I built an AP team and then a Fortune 15 company so called... If- if 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 we take it from a uh, time uh, in a timeline perspective, so yeah. you 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 have your you you do your major in uh, in English out of out of interest for reading uh, while you were uh, while you were a teenager, then uh, working in that job that you were doing uh, as a as a student as an English major student, uh, you. Um, volunteer to uh, to have an accounting role in a uh, yes. at your company right yep yes and and that's where your love <laughs> for finance or for accounting started and you you had the mba but yes how, how long how, how long ago you started your financial career finance focused career so I came um, out of school and um, four years later, so I was at that job and I worked all through my MBA. So I was at that job for three and a half years. And when I graduated with my MBA, I went to, that's when I started getting more professional positions. Mm-hmm. And so I was in, um, I, I worked about 15 years in accounting, AR, financial reporting before I finally got to account payable. So it it was really good though, because it gave me a good foundation for understanding the accounts payable transactions and, you know, how that really fit in the whole accounting um, cycle. And so it was really good. Uh, But I will tell you when I got to accounts payable, that did it. I was hooked. My next job, I built an AP department and an AP team. And then from there, I went to a fortune 15 company in accounts payable. And I was assigned to the global vendor maintenance, which was US, Canada, um, EMEA, um, APAC. It was all vendors across the whole company, onboarding them, updating them, keeping the vendor master file clean and accurate. And that niche. So AP is already a niche. So accounts payable or AP is already a niche. I went further than that. I went to a niche within accounts payable, which is vendor maintenance. And that's where I am now. And that's what I love. That's what yes. my consultancy is built on. So, so indeed, can you maybe for the, for the audience uh, provide a um, small or quick or um, yeah, a quick or clear definition on uh, what is accounts payable? So when, when we say AP and vendor maintenance, because not everybody is uh, familiar with that. 
Right. So AP is a department and, you know, your listeners may may know about it. it it's a, a department that, you know, but unless you work in finance or deal directly with vendors that you you need to pay, you may not know, you know, know exactly what they do. So um, typically accounts payable or AP is the department that pays the vendors for goods and services that a company needs. So for example, if your company needs a widget, then the procurement or purchasing team will source the best product. They'll source the best price. And now we have a a vendor to provide us that widget. Well, AP has to get that request. They have to set that vendor up so that we can create the PO. And then once that is done and the vendor has um, fulfilled their their, uh, uh, goods or services, they will then send an invoice to accounts payable. Accounts payable will um, check that we receive the invoice or receive the goods or services. They will key in um, the invoice or hopefully there's automation, but the invoice will get into the system and then accounts payable will also pay that vendor based on whatever the terms were in the contract that that purchasing or procurement worked out. So AP is the one that that does all the transactions that leads to payment for the Mm -hmm. vendor for the goods or services. And the vendor record or the vendor master file, which is my area, is setting that vendor up so that we Mm -hmm. can cut the PO, so that we can pay them, and just making sure that that vendor record is accurate um, and that it's not, we we don't introduce fraud, and we'll probably talk Mm -hmm. about that a little later, but we don't introduce fraud into it, and that it just stays clean so that we yeah. can have successful on-time payments. Yeah, great. It's That's an exhaustive and very clear uh, definition <laughs> <laughs> of both AP and the vendor. And yeah. uh, maybe one, one point to uh, that I would like to insist on, indeed, uh, in the latest experiences that you have mentioned, you were working with uh, pretty big companies, but before yeah. it was small and medium uh, businesses. Yeah. But that doesn't change the role and the importance of an accounts payable team and a vendor uh, maintenance, right? It does not. It just changes the size or the volume of the transactions and Mm -hmm. the size of the department. So when I was at a very small firm, we had five people in our total accounts payable team. When I was at the Fortune 15 company, we had we started off with 200 people. And that's yeah, that so it, it just depends on on the company, but everyone Every company, um, even government entities, has to pay vendors for their goods and services, mm-hmm. and that's where AP comes in. Okay, and the, the very, very interesting as well the experience that you have in which you you had to build an uh, accounts payable team. Um, given that, that was fun. We, yeah, <laughs> in the in the audience, we 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 have a lot of uh, consultants that are either themselves uh, employees or in middle management roles or. Mm-hmm. They are a professional with pretty uh, pretty small organizations. Yeah. So, wh- what type of skills? What what type of uh, wh- wh- yes? Wh- what type of competencies? What type of skills? What type of actions did you need to to take in order to build uh, that uh, accounts payable team? So it was, you had to be, or I had to be very well-rounded as your listeners have probably gone through, right? So you need to know the technology side so you can know, you know, how can you do things better? What's going to bring in some efficiency? You have to know the, um, uh, 
uh, process or internal control side because you need to make sure, especially when I was building that AP team, I had to make sure that I assign assign processes that would not be caught in audit for, you know, issues with segregation of duties. Like you couldn't have someone set up a vendor and then you couldn't have someone pay a vendor because if you had an unethical employee, they could go in and set their vendor up and then pay themselves. So you had to have those types of sec- uh, segregation of duties. And so um, you need to, needed to know that so you can set them up correctly. And then you need the biggest thing for me is um, not just handling and having those communication skills to deal with the stakeholders and the vendors and, and you know your internal uh, clients, but you have to have that HR so you can deal with your, um, and I won't say deal with, that's probably a bad word. You need to have those HR skills so that you can um, manage successfully um, your team. And mm-hmm. that means keeping them engaged, engaging with them, um, empowering them, making sure that you know you have that succession plan, that they're growing in their positions, uh, listening to them, identifying you know what motivates them. Because you know, different people are motivated by different things. Mm-hmm. You need to find that out. And you know, I had five people on my team, five of them had different ways of, of, of being motivated. So you have to play to that. And so um, that was one of the big things was the H- HR skills. But it, it, you just have to have a well-rounded, not just understand the, the process, but the technology, um, the uh, communication skills to deal with the vendors and your internal clients, and then also definitely the HR skills. Wow! Wow! Uh, that's all, again a great answer, but uh, also it will uh, it highlights the, um, the, the 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 types of skills that are required that are not necessarily related to the hard knowledge. Uh, but right. uh, one thing that is important that you mentioned as well is the the segregation of uh, of duties. So mm-hmm. so if we go if we go forward now and we we go forward to now in uh, April two thousand twenty. Uh, what is Deborah Richardson doing right now? Still an AP consultant, but uh, in which uh, capacity? Yeah, so I do I do the same thing that I did coming out of my last position, which I left in um, September of 2018, and I help other AP departments make sure that when they're onboarding their vendors, that they're not introducing fraud, so you don't you know get in a situation that you see every day, and you probably see them because I I I I'm very big on awareness, and so I share them out in social media when. We we see that fraud has occurred and another accounts payable team has sent millions of dollars to a fraudulent account. And so I help teams so that they don't do that. And then I also help them keep their vendor master file, which is the record of all the vendors that they pay to make sure they keep that clean. Because um, not only is there um, a risk of fraud, but then there's also a risk of you know paying compliance um, or regulatory um, uh, uh, agencies. So you have to be compliant and make sure that, you know, when you set up a vendor, you're not setting up a vendor that the United States Treasury Office has said, no, you can't do business with that vendor, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to make sure they're not on watch list. And not just when you set them up, but you have to make sure if you set them up last year, that this year they haven't gotten on that list at some point in time. And so there's always... Yeah, so watchdog for that. Yeah, so that's their monitoring. And then 
And also within vendor maintenance, um, they typically handle the filing of IRS um, tax forms. So you've heard of the 1099s. So if you have a vendor that is reportable and that vendor um, uh, is is has payments um, uh, that's eligible to be reportable or over that um, $600 threshold, you have to send them a 1099. But if your information is not valid um, within your ERP, you know, you can get that coming back. And so, you know, in the past, I've had to send out as many as 24,000, you know, 1099s. And you can imagine if we had invalid information, wow. you know, you get a lot of those coming back. Not to mention, we also have to file those with the IRS. And if you give invalid information like a wrong legal name, tax ID combination, you're going to get fined for that. So if you set up a vendor that, you know, Treasury says you shouldn't work with, or if you set up a vendor and you um, set it up with the wrong legal name, tax ID combination, you're going to get fined from both of those ends. And so I help accounts payable teams uh, avoid that as well. Okay. So it leads me to ask uh, three questions. The first one is uh, short. It's maybe for the people that are not familiar with the subject and not in the United States. When you say 1099, uh, what do you you, uh, refer to? So the 1099, it's it's equivalent to if you're an employee at the end of the year, you're going to get a W-2 and you use that W-2 to file your taxes in the U.S. Um, If if a vendor is um, considered to be reportable, and let's take a contractor. So you've got you've got um, regular employees, and then you have contractors. Contractors mm-hmm. are treated as vendors, and that what they are paid is uh, considered reportable, and so they're going to get a 1099. So instead of getting a W two, they're going to get a 1099, yeah. and. And so that is 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 what I mean by that. But you know, it, uh, you're verifying that information on the vendor record um, when you set them up, and then also just keep monitoring that as well. But you're verifying the legal name, you're verifying the tax registration number, and so that's applicable for Canada too, because yeah. you know you guys have the HST. I think it's combined now the GST, which HST and and. Is the sale you you refer to the sales tax and in my province there is also uh, another provincial tax that we uh, yeah. that we have to add uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, and so it depends on the country. So depending on the country, there are different tax registration numbers, and you have to validate those as well. So U.S., um, Canada. Uh, um, uh, EMEA, UK, like the uh, countries like UK, all of that, they all have different tax IDs. And if you have a vendor that's from one of those countries, including Canada, you need to make sure that the tax ID that you have um, entered the on the one. vendor record is the correct one. Okay. And then, then I have two, uh, two other questions related to, uh, to what you said. Uh, you mentioned um, a, a few times, you know, the risk of um, being uh, fined or uh, the risk of uh, being a victim of fraud. Uh, so I assume when you offer your service, uh, is it easy or is it difficult for you to communicate the value proposition of your service? 
Well, and th- that's a that that's a great question. Um, and I will tell you that at this point, well, let's just say prior to um, COVID-19 and the shelter in place where many accounts payable teams are now working from home, and that's not what they did. You know, some accounts payable teams are working from home some days, you know, one or two days a week, but that um, but others weren't and they were abruptly sent home. And so now you have those AP teams working 100% from home. They're working and it's not, you know, the regular work from home. They've got their kids there. You know, they've got their um, uh, uh, husbands, wives there. They've got roommates there. So it's it's just a, a little bit different. And so what I'll say is Prior to, you know, this whole COVID-19, it was more of a reactive. So I wouldn't get the call from an accounts payable team member or somewhere, someone on their um, risk team until something happened. So when they sent, you know, $1.7 million out, then they called me to come in and put controls in and check their vendor master file. Um, And it was very hard to get them to do it in a proactive way because they didn't every everybody thinks that they can that they'll automatically see and know that there's a fraudulent email that's there. But that's not the case. People are distracted. Even when in a normal situation, you know, things happen, they come in, their kids are sick, they're still at work. um, And so they're, they're distracted. Um, And then now you put in this COVID, you know, you, you put into the mix is COVID-19 with everyone working from home and they're really distracted. And so what I think will will happen um, for for my uh, my niche is that when they come back, they're going to realize that they were not at all prepared um, to work from home, and that they're going to um, need some automation because the productivity just wasn't there. And it's not that the people aren't you know doing uh, doing a great job. Is that you know it's difficult. It's not a regular work from home like I talked about before. They're distracted. They've got other people there. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, you know, we have, you know, Wi-Fi issues because everybody now is working from home. And so I think when they go back, there's going to be a rush to be proactive. Mm-hmm. And that's going to mean, you know, putting in that AP automation if they don't have it either in the invoice processing side or or in the vendor onboarding side. And all of that is going to need um, a clean vendor master file. And so I think coming back, people will be, or AP teams and their leadership will be more proactive because they will see what can happen if they're not prepared and they're not proactive. Yeah, and that's a great, uh, it's a great segue as well to uh, the other question I had in my head. It's uh, about the in your opinion, uh, what what is or what are the best uh, system of records to get that uh, vendor master or are there systems with which we have worked that uh, include uh, the best practices um, that we need in order to have proper vendor master information, proper accounts payable uh, information? Yeah, and actually, that's a really uh, great question, because I I will tell you that what's out there today, there are more. So when you talk about AP automation, if anyone says accounts payable automation, AP automation, what they're really talking about is the receipt of invoices and the approval process for invoices, right? And I understand that because it's a lot of volume. 
Um, and so you've got high transaction and that's where, you know, that automation, um, that automation usually goes. However, there's still automation on the vendor side with vendor portals, vendor self-registration portals, and there's not as many of them out there. Um, but I will say, um, not to necessarily name any names, but I, I will say that there are portals out there. They have varying degrees of features and functionality. And what we really need to be looking for um, is those uh, uh, those portals that have validations. They have um, so that they'll check those watch lists. They'll check, you know, with the IRS or with FISE if it's a VAT number for UK. Um, they'll check with um, the Canadian sources to verify those tax registration numbers. Um, and then also that they have some type of a sign and authentication um, into that portal. So if a vendor signs in, you know that that vendor is already, uh, that that vendor is real, that it is that vendor. And that includes those things like, you know, multi-factor um, authentication. So that again, you can prove that, that that vendor is who they say they are when they come in to make changes to their payment information. And so those are, those things, those portals are out there. Um, and what, what I try to do in my consultancy is, you know, again, those portals have varying, varying levels of functionality. So whatever your portal that you have chosen, and sometimes AP doesn't have a say in, you know, the automation that they, that gets handed to them. And that's fine. I understand that. I wish it was a different way, but we know how that goes. Uh, mm -hmm. But what I try to do with clients is to work with whatever automation they have or whatever automation has been approved and then fill in those gaps with the authentication techniques, the internal controls, and the best practices that I teach in, in, in my consultancy. Yeah, it's uh, amazing, amazing. And, and uh, you, you uh, referred to uh, automation uh, mm -hmm. when talking about, you referred to the current uh, situation that the world is living uh, with the pandemic and, uh, and COVID-19 and the future of the industry. Maybe, maybe we can can dig a bit deeper into that like um so we see some consequences right now uh with regards to not being able to be if i understand well not being able to be totally uh focused on such uh detail oriented tasks such as doing ap management uh what what what, what type of impact do you see in the future when the when the pandemic finishes where do you see uh, the industry going so I think um, really two areas. So there were so there are really three um, three functions that 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 I focus on in um, in in AP, and it's really you know processing that invoice. So you're going to get in how many ever thousands or millions of invoices per year, and so um, that's where a lot of AP teams um, focus their AP automation is getting those in, um, getting automating the approval process, automating the geo coding, which is a big pain point. And so anyone that does not, any accounts payable team that's, that does not have that um, uh, automation during this COVID-19, they're going to be looking at that when they go back. And that, and, you know, because 
today they're probably having to have, you know, someone go into the office because they're having invoices mailed. And so they got to grab those. And so again, when they come out of this, they're going to be preparing to make sure that, you know, they don't, that this doesn't happen again. So they're going to be looking at that automation. The other automation um, is with the, uh, we talked about the vendor uh, master file and the vendor onboarding process is getting that, mm-hmm. that those vendor self-registration portals set up because that's another area where, you know, they're receiving a lot of not, if not paper documents, they're receiving electronic documents, you know, anything coming through email can be fraudulent. And so um, they're going to be looking at doing that. Uh, and that's that's up and coming. Uh, again, there are some uh, third-party vendors that have great vendor portals out there, but it's not as many as for invoices. Mm-hmm. Now, the upcoming that I see is going to be a really big thing is the payment solution provider. So we talked about invoices coming in. We talked about setting those vendors up. And now we have to talk about getting those vendors paid because when those accounts payable teams abruptly went home, who's going to write those checks? You know, who's going to generate those checks? And so we see a lot of um, AP teams now scrambling, trying to figure out how they're going to get those checks written. And a lot of them are going to these third-party providers. And again, there's not as many as invoice um, invoicing solutions. There's not as many as vendor portals, but they're going to these payment solution providers and saying, hey, we need to do something because we need to get our vendors paid. Mm-hmm. Is, is it like, like PayPal, maybe it's not a bad example, but... So what they do, and and I haven't talked to um, talked to all of them, but I have had uh, seen demos of some because I actually mm-hmm. did have payments um, for a portion of the time when I was at that Fortune 15 company, and um, we had quite a few pay cycles per week. Um, it, it was just a ton, and I tried to like give all those away to somebody at some point, but that was back in 2015. But back then, you didn't have a lot of payment solution providers in the first place, and then if you did have them, they didn't pay in local currency, and so mm-hmm. w- we kept them. But nowadays, that's all changed, and you've got more providers out there now that will take that pay file that you generate, and instead of that pay file going to your bank and paying your vendors, that pay file now goes to that payment solution company and that payment solution company will handle it from there. Yeah. Yeah. And and that takes care of and and whether that is, you know, sending an ACH, sending a wire, sending a check, um, paying by commercial card, it's still all handled by the commercial provider or by the uh, payment solution, solution provider. provider. OK, OK, yeah. perfect. Yeah. You just mentioned a few uh, payment methods that uh, that can be uh, that are commonly used uh, mm-hmm. uh, in business. Um, what about as well? Uh, your, your, you yourself, you're right now a solo consultant. Yes. Uh, during a pandemic, so uh, how, <laughs> uh, how how do you see uh, your uh, your 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 company uh, going forward? Do you want to stay uh, in a, a solo model, a solopreneur, or do you want a team? Or what, what, what do you what would you like? 
So, I, I, yes, I am a solo practitioner um, right now and I actually really, really love it. And I will say that when I first um, when I first started my company again, this was back in September of 2018, um, when I brought my when I acquired my first client, I actually did have an employee. You know, I needed help to I needed help with things that needed to be done uh, for that client. And I thought, oh, great, everything's going to be fine. I'll just keep getting clients back to back to back back to back and everything will be fine. And it, it wasn't. So I brought that employee on. We finished the client work. It was absolutely fine. No issues. Great employee. But the payroll taxes, um, the carrying costs for, for the employee um, was just something that, you know, just kind of, you know, um, uh, depleted my funding. And mm-hmm. so um, I, I uh, actually worked and, and got that great employee, a new great job. And so I, I've been a solo practitioner since then. And I will say that because of that, you know, I ended up going um, and, and taking um, uh, another job. It was still in my area um, for a few months so that when I came back out now as a solo practitioner, um, I, I now have, you know, a better foundation, but yes, I'll stay there probably for, um, the next couple of years. Um, I don't want to go to the business model of a firm because, Mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've, I've had all I needed, you know, I've I've had all I needed from the fun of HR. So that's not going to happen again. Um, (laughs) but, but I will say, you know, um, uh, I may look at in the future is the productized model or some type of an hybrid where I can have some of the work systematized um, so that I don't have to, you know, provide that customized service for every client. And so I'll be looking at developing some products and services that I can productize, that I can, you know, can 80% be done by a system so that I can um, maybe Maybe get uh, contractors or maybe employees at that point. Um, uh, very few that can that can monitor and and I can delegate that to. But I may be looking at that and and um, developing products and services in the future. But for the next great. two years, it will be as a solo practitioner. Okay, that's great. That's great. And uh, also, I think there is um, you. Not not everybody sees it uh, from because I see you, but people will listen to it. Is that uh, you're you're a woman of color, uh, and there is in the United States a kind of program, uh, if it's the right word, uh, for uh, uh, minority business owners uh, that you wanted to maybe uh, talk about. Yeah, so there is there's a minority business enterprise, um, and that is a certification, and it is by and I. Um, we'll have to maybe provide um, the the acronym is NMSDC, and I believe it's the National Minority. Uh, minority, um, diversify, we'll have to provide that, but that they provide, um, certifications, uh, minority business enterprise. And once you're certified with that, then they will introduce you and you can network with those, uh, suppliers or those buyers that want to work with minority and diverse, um, suppliers. And that opens you up to, um, to, you know, uh, uh, those corporate 
corporate clients. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, I was scheduled to go um, to the BMW Supplier Diversity Conference. It was a one-day conference. It was a meet and greet. Mm -hmm. And it was um, supposed to be um, April 1st. Well, you know what happened to that. (laughs) It was in in Dallas too. And I love Dallas. And, And so I was really disappointed that that didn't come. But they have a lot of programs and they have a lot of events so that they can pair you with those companies that that want to work with minority suppliers and that want to um, work with um, uh, and, and that have uh, you know projects that that will fit and so that's a that's an excellent program as well and then um, through Oklahoma um, I did self-certify as a woman-owned business and mm-hmm. I know that that's also a certification through the SBA although I just got an email and if anyone else um, out there is um, is is uh, uh, looking at that that program is and the requirements are trained are changing. And I just got an email on that this week. So I'll have to take a look at that. But I am, but I am self-certified as, um, as a woman owned business. And then in Oklahoma, um, we have access to the hub zone certification, which is working through, um, which is through the SBA, but it's, it's, um, highly sought after for government contracting. And so I became HubZone certified as well. So um, I, I do have those three certifications, but the minority um, certification, uh, I uh, uh, that was the first one that I got. And so mm-hmm. I've really been involved with that organization. Yeah, uh, that's great. That's great. And I, I think it's uh, National Minority Supplier Development Council. There you go. <laughs> yeah, great. yeah. It, would be, uh, it, it would be in the show notes, and I, I think it's great, great resources. Uh, it's also a bit, uh, a bit the goal uh, of having a, a podcast is also to share uh, what can be uh, not only through your experience and expertise, but also what mm-hmm. can be useful for, uh, yeah. in general, for uh, for the professionals that are uh, that are listening. Um, so, so it's wonderful. I think we have gone through a lot of different uh, topics and we have gone in depth about uh, accounts <laughs> accounts payable so um, and you started you, as you said you started your company in uh, September 2018 yep. uh, so uh, you are living right now and <laughs> during a pandemic uh, the consulting lifestyle and uh, I would like to know uh, what what does uh, come to your mind when uh, I say a consulting lifestyle well The first thing that comes to my mind is that it's all up to me. And so um, what that means for me is that um, I have to continue to have those conversations, to make those things work, um, to um, develop relationships, and then also to create opportunities where no one sees opportunities. So if I see, um, I actually have a client call or potential client call because I saw on an email where um, one of our, uh, they were explaining how their email had been hacked. And I said, well, if that's been hacked, then this other thing may have happened and maybe we should jump on a call. And so it's creating those opportunities. So it's having those relationships, um, communicating, and then um, building those relationships and creating those opportunities. The biggest thing, though, that it means for me, um, uh, not just within COVID, but, you know, 
that mindset change that will go beyond this whole COVID and shelter in place is Mm -hmm. really just no longer having to trade dollars for hours, right? Mm -hmm. So I love not having to wait, you know, so many years to get a set number of vacation days or to figure out what my raises are going to be or to try to figure out what my bonus is going to be this Mm -hmm. this year. I don't have to look at that. Everything is on me. I price based on value. So there's no hourly rate for me anymore. It doesn't mean that I don't work a lot. I do, but it's a different mindset when I know that I am delivering value to my client and not ours. And so that mindset for me is that change mindset coming from a corporate environment. And I was there for 20 some odd years, changing that mindset from being that corporate person um, trading those dollars for hours to delivering value. That mindset is what I love. And that's why I really love this consulting lifestyle. Yeah, amazing, amazing answer. And uh, you you finish well by saying delivering value because you have just delivered value, a lot of value to the uh, uh, to the audience. So uh, Deborah, it was a, it was a great conversation. Um, you have a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm, and uh, <laughs> I like it. Really, I like it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it was good to to discuss about that uh, very niche subject of uh, of accounts payable and uh, vendor maintenance. So um, uh, Deborah. Uh, for sure, we will talk again uh, soon. Okay, thanks. And thank you for having me on. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast. Leave a review on iTunes if you have enjoyed the episode and subscribe to the podcast so that you get notified to hear other episodes with your host, Diogen Tirandekura.